As the divide in our country continues to widen, the temptation to be harsh, sinfully angry, or retaliate in ungodly ways toward those who think differently from you is probably at an all-time high. There are times when we can think more highly of ourselves and less considerate of others, especially when they do things that frustrate us. It is in these critical moments that the gospel must level our hearts. If it does not, we may go to some dark places. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. The title of the podcast is Thinking About People Who Are Not Like You. I have been writing a lot of articles recently on this racial tension and political tension that is in our country today more I've been writing more evergreen I've been writing more time dated content than evergreen evergreen content is content that well it's applicable today it's not time dated and you could read it 10 years ago today or 10 years from now and it's perfectly relevant I would say that 98% of the articles on our website the podcasts that I do are evergreen not time dated But I have been writing time-dated articles specifically on this idea of racism and political tension that's been happening, as well as the coronavirus. Probably 15 or so articles in the last three months because we I get I've been getting questions regularly on this, and so I have I've made a pivot from my normal writing style because anxiety is high. Uh, People are worrying. People are frustrated. There seems to be no other conversation happening in our country, and I it's important that we we have a biblical perspective on this. The last article that I wrote is well, is is the article about the political power brokers, the liberal uh, political agenda drivers, and it got a lot of shares, a lot of reads, a lot of comments. But I want to talk about this tension in another kind of way in this podcast. I am not going to talk about them out there. I have talked about them out there, and I've I've devoted considerable time to try to bring some biblical clarity to how to think about them out there. But today, in this podcast, I, I want you to think about you. And as I think most of you know my podcasts are, are are devotionals. This they are introspective. They are autobiographical. It's how I think as I bang out on my on my on my laptop these ideas. I'm not writing to you primarily. I'm writing to myself. And so even though I may use the pronoun you throughout this podcast, please understand that I am looking at myself and this is how I think and this is how I apply the gospel to my life on a particular matter. If you want to read this podcast, you can find it by the same title on our website, Thinking About Those People Who Are Not Like You. And I would love, I would appeal to 
you to read the article and to share it with a few friends. And as always, if you want to talk to us, we have a free community forum. It is the only way to connect to our team. We do not communicate through social media. It is uh, unidirectional. It is monologue. Social media is, but we are dialogue on our website because it's a safe place and it's a civil place. And we can control the narrative here, and we can talk civilly and and constructively, even critically, but yet charitably as we do that. And so, if you come here, you will be it will be safe interaction, and we'll give you advice as we can, and we would love to chat with you. Our ministry is brought to you by our faithful supporting community, those people who give to our ministry uh, faithfully every month, every year. Thank you so much. Kevin and Deborah, thank you for your generosity recently to our ministry. Teresa, thank you also for your faithful check that you send every month. I'm so thankful for all three of you, Teresa and Kevin and Deborah, for your longtime support of this ministry. And because of you and several others like you, we have these resources that we can just give away uh, to the public domain, and I'm so grateful for that. Thinking about those people who are not like you, when thinking about others, the best place is always to begin with a gospel exam. The gospel must be the centerpiece of our lives, not just our lives, but our thoughts, our presuppositions. And so you can do this. You can take a gospel exam by answering a few assess a self-assessment questions. And so I want to share just a handful, eight self-assessment questions with you. And I my appeal for you is to carefully think through them to apply. In fact, it may benefit you to discuss these questions uh, with a close friend, or maybe you can take them to a small group of like-minded disciple makers, and this would be a fantastic conversation to have uh, within a a group of of competent and and compassionate and caring friends. Here they are, self-assess. Number one, are you frustrated with anyone? Number two, are you impatient with someone? Number three, do you look down on others? Number four, are you unsympathetic toward the struggler? Number five, Five, are you critical of people who can't kick their habit, whatever their habit may be? Number six, do you feel superior towards certain ethnic groups? Number seven, are you condescending toward gay people? And then finally, number eight, what what about those on the other side of the political aisle? I'm asking if there are sinners in your sphere of influence with whom you struggle in your heart. Now, perhaps I didn't ask the right question, okay? Well, what if you supplied one that is more accurate in context of what I'm driving toward in this podcast? But if you answered yes to any of these heart queries, you not only need a gospel checkup, which is what this self-assessment does or is doing, but you need a gospel fix. All right, so there's your eight questions. There's your self-assessment. You have been thinking about yourself. The next stage of your gospel exam is to 
reflect on a few foundational thoughts about hermeneology. You know what hermeneology is? It is the doctrine of sin, the teaching of sin, according to the Bible. Understanding the pandemic reality of sin, its noetic effect, meaning the impact that it has on our minds, and the truths of total depravity, these three things could be three uh, could, could be three legs to the stool of harmoniology, the doctrine of sin, and they are vital when thinking about how you relate to others. And so you've listened to the first eight questions, which really talked about how you look toward other people. And now I want to bring in a little more internal, and I want to ask you two more questions. These are harmoniology questions. They are ontological questions, meaning your state of being. Question number one, are you a sinner because you sin? Or number two, do you sin because you are a sinner? Now, theologically speaking, you sin because you are a sinner, not You're a sinner because you sin, but in the most technical sense, you sin because you are a sinner. There is a nuance of difference in those two questions. Some evangelistic methods seek to get people to admit their sinfulness by showing them how they have sinned. Sometimes they'll go through the Ten Commandments and and, and say, have you done any of these? And they want them to admit. The thought is, is that if they can get the unregenerate person to admit any sin, they will see their need for a Savior. Now, in a sense, that approach is not wrong. I'm not throwing that approach out. I'm not kicking it to the curb. Most certainly, if you or I have sinned, we do need a Savior, but a more foundational truth presupposes whether we have sinned or not. The fact is, we are sinners, regardless of whether we can recollect past transgressions. And though it's not possible for a human not to sin, Owning up to our sin is not necessary to be guilty before the Lord. You're guilty before God whether you own it or not. And so go back to my two questions. Are you a sinner because you sin? That's the evangelistic approach that's trying to get you to admit your sinfulness, which would say that you are a sinner, or you sin because you are a sinner, and that is the more theologically technical answer to the question. I am human, and I am sinner. Those things are true regardless of I acknowledge or own any kind of transgressions. Sin comes with the Adamic package. Now, of course, there are differences. There are in the kind and consequences of our sins, but there are no differences from one human to the next as far as being a sinner. Adolf Hitler, Ted Bundy, Rick Thomas, Donald Trump, and any other person you want to name other than Christ are guilty before God. The number, the kind, or the consequences of our sin, that's another story. 
I'm not talking about the quantity or the consequences of our sin. God, God does not see big sinners and little sinners, but considers all of us as sinners in need of the redemptive work of his son. The only difference in the list of folks that I named, Hitler, Bundy, Thomas, Trump, the only difference in those four people is whether or not they have asked the Savior to regenerate them. That's the only difference in them. We are equally depraved. The question is not what sins have you committed. The question is, have you been born again? We're all sinners in need of salvation, and though there are a time and a context to distinguish the type and the consequences of our transgressions, that's not where you should begin. The starting place for discussions about sin should be on a level footing somewhere near the cross. I have heard many testimonies about the drug addict, the prostitute, the former inmate, who shared their stories about God's saving grace. And in each case, it has been something to celebrate. Yes, it was. And as fantastic as their testimonies were, I've never considered them more profound than the five-year-old girl who attended Sunday school and was regenerated by Christ's grace. This kind of girl grows into a God-loving teenager. She marries a Christian man. She never knows the stinging anguish of brokenness like the addict or the prostitute or the inmate. Nevertheless, she and the convict were the same in God's sight before their regeneration. I'm not saying we should downplay the salvation of the convict, I am saying that the convict and the Sunday school attender were no different before their conversions. Now, some may argue that the former inmate has a better testimony. I suggest that the little girl's God's story, it might be better. You see, her God's story is about the power of the gospel that saves a young child and keeps her living in the good of that gospel throughout her life. The persevering strength of the gospel is incredible and otherworldly. To sin is weakness, and to sin is not otherworldly. To sin is easy-peasy. It is easy for sinners to get angry. It's easy to, for sinners to be impatient or gossip or overeat or end up in prison if they follow their natural desires. We all are weak when it, when it comes to sinning, and temptations are mighty, which is why we quickly yield to them. It doesn't take much power or strength or self-control to do those things. The empowering grace of God is much more durable and profound. And that's why the little girl's testimony, in my view, is more profound because it speaks of the persevering power and strength of God. It is God's strength that saves and continually helps us become holier. The testimony of the inmate and the five-year-old equally speaks volumes to the goodness and power of the gospel. 
with these with these things in mind, let me ask you a few more questions. Do you feel your ontological condition before your salvation, your state of being before your salvation was not as bad as someone else's? Maybe you were the five-year-old girl or the five-year-old boy who was regenerated and you have not experienced the heinousness of the inmate or the prostitute or the addict. Do you feel that your condition before salvation was not as bad as someone else, your ontological condition. Do you connect your passion for the Savior to the kinds of sins you committed or the fact you were a sinner? The first question is, do you connect your passion for the Savior to the kinds of sins you committed, meaning the reason I am so passionate is because of the types of sins I committed, or Do you connect your passion to the fact that you were a sinner, regardless of the type or the degree of your transgressions? And finally, question number three, are you stunned and amazed by the gospel to the point that it manifests in daily passion? Some Christians who were saved early in life struggle to apply the gospel in practical ways, particularly after they become adults. They specifically struggle with a lack of daily passion for what God did for them at the cross. Some of them are not as amazed by the gospel's truths like others who may have had a more difficult path to the cross. I'm not talking about emotionalism here though a lack of emotion could be part of their issue. But whether your hands are down by your side or up in the air when you reflect upon the glories of the cross is not as important as the condition of your heart when you think about that cross. There can be a deception for those regenerated at a young age. These believers could think they have not committed as many sins or the darker acts that they see in the culture, and this deception could trick them into believing they are better than those with the more scandalous and flagrant sins. And though you would quick, though they would quickly tell you that every person has sinned and no one is righteous and, and grace rather than our works save us, some of these believers have not fully transitioned from what they know to be accurate or how they live these truths out on a day-to-day basis. And while they may ace the Christian 101 exam, they do not do as well when it comes to living the gospel out in their daily sanctification. There are two areas where you will find evidence of this truth. Number one, there will be a lack of gratitude for temporal provisions as well as spiritual blessings from God. There will be a lack of gratitude what God provides, either in earthly provisions or spiritual blessings. There's a sense of entitlement. And then number two, there will be a temptation to look down on others who are not like them. They will compare themselves to other people and look down on them. When a person can juxtapose these two equal and corresponding truths, here they are. When you can juxtapose these, here they are. Number one, I was the world's worst sinner, and you juxtapose this with, and God showed me mercy. When a person can juxtapose these two equal and corresponding truths, they reduce the temptations 
toward a lack of gratitude or judgmentalism in proportion to their daily understanding and practice of these truths in their lives. A few more questions. Do you believe if you had sinned more before God saved you that you would be more passionate for him now? If you say yes to that, you need some help. Number two, do you lack daily gratitude for what God did for you on the cross? If you say yes to that, you need some help. Number three, as you reflect, what specific ways do you need to change your thinking about yourself, about God, and about others? Here's one more question that I really want you to think about, and I'll go ahead and tell you this is a trick question. From your perspective, who is the worst sinner you have ever known? Now, if you ask the great apostle Paul this question, he would answer it definitively. He would say it was him. From his perspective, he was the foremost sinner. Paul was more aware of what he had done to Christ than what anyone else had done to him. From a quantity, from a type, from a consequential perspective, perhaps other sinners in Paul's world were worse than he was, but it didn't affect his thinking as far as how he saw himself before salvation. Paul knew himself to be the worst sinner in the room, the biggest sinner in the room. Paul had the right attitude on how we should view ourselves before we began to think about others. Jesus said it this way. You've heard this many times in Matthew 7. He said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. To miss the Savior's point is to lose a fundamental, practical outworking of the gospel. It goes like this, quote, Rick was the chief of sinners before Christ regenerated him. And you should be able to substitute your name in that statement. The Christian who does not see himself as the worst sinner ever saved will succumb to the temptation to compare himself to others based on what others have done or have not done. Paul has some strong language about that in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said this, not that we dare to classify, not that we dare to compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Comparison thinking creates degrees and levels for categorizing believers and unbelievers. In reality, there are only two kinds of sinners with no degrees and no levels. One kind, we call them unsaved sinners, also called pagans, unregenerate, lost, unbelievers, or children of Satan. The other type is saved, are saved sinners, 
called saints, regenerate, believers, or children of God. There are only two kinds of sinners. There are saved sinners and unsaved sinners. This issue is ontological. It is about your state of being rather than what you have done, good or bad. Now, in this context, talking about ontology, it will not matter what sins you have committed when you stand before God. What you have done is what you have done, whatever it is. If you're the five-year-old girl who grew up and married the wonderful Christian man and lived a wonderful Christian life and you've never been affected by the scandalous sins, or if you are the inmate, the addict, or the prostitute, it doesn't matter. The issue on that day when you stand before the Lord will be your relationship or lack thereof with the Son of God because there's only two kinds of people, not degree, type, or quantity or consequence. There's either unsaved sinners or saved sinners. If you categorize people as good or bad based on your list of acceptable or unacceptable behaviors, you're self-righteous which is the fundamental sin that feeds racism, legalism, and other judgmental and uncharitable attitudes. Now, we all do this. All of us do. There, there are no exceptions to this. Now, if you want to know how bad this problem may be with you, to see if you have strayed too far from the practical outworking of the gospel, then you can assess yourself against these self-righteous sins. And so I want to give you a list. It's not an exhaustive list of self-righteous sins, and if they are a part of, of your pattern, your lifestyle, a characterization, then you do have a problem. Number one, criticizing. That is a self-righteous sin. Criticizing. Complaining. Gossiping distancing yourself from others, not out of fear. If you're afraid of others, you should distance yourself. But but I'm talking about disdain. You distance yourself out of disdain, not out of fear. Number five, looking down on others. Number six, judging others uncharitably. Number seven, you compare yourself to others. Number eight, thinking yourself better than others. Nine, unwilling to pray for others. Ten, unwilling to forgive others. Eleven, rolling your eyes when thinking about others. Or maybe you could say rolling your eyes in your heart when you think about others. And then finally, number twelve, you're impatient or unkind toward others. Paul knew a few Christians who had many of these issues criticizing, complaining, gossiping, distancing, looking down, judging others, comparing, thinking better, un thinking yourself better, unwilling to pray, unwilling to forgive, rolling your eyes, impatient and unkind. I'm sure some of them were some of these people within his sphere that they were worse than he was from a quantity, type, or consequential perspective. But when he looked at himself, he realized he was the chief of all sinners in the group a sinner whom God showed mercy. Let me go 
back to that statement that I made other, uh, earlier that when you can juxtapose those two truths, two equal and corresponding truths, I was the world's worst sinner and God showed mercy. That's how Paul did it. If you believe you are the worst sinner ever saved, you have a fundamental yet profound understanding of the gospel. And so do you have a better attitude when you think of others? One of the ways you can think about this question is by asking a a few more. This is my final list of questions. Number one, have you ever gossiped? Number two, have you ever gotten sinfully angry? Three, have you ever been impatient? Four, have you ever criticized anyone? Five, have you ever slandered anyone? There is no way that any of us can listen to this list and say that we are, we are not guilty. We are guilty. And if you answered yes to any of these questions, you have yield, yielded to the sin of self-righteousness, a better-than attitude that affirms, here it is, that you don't need Christ because Christ didn't come for the righteous people. And so if you live in a self-righteous state, especially if you're characterized by any of these sins that I've been listing here, then you don't need Christ because he came for the unrighteous. The solution to this dilemma is only a prayer away. If you look down on others or struggle with others, may I appeal to you to wrestle through the thoughts that I've shared with you and find a friend to help you. The title of this podcast is Thinking About Those Who Are Not Like you. I just want to leave you with one question, even though I have more uh, in the call to action. There is a difference between reactive and reflective self-righteous judgments. And what I mean by that is everybody reacts episodically to things they don't like in others. So don't beat yourself up too badly about this. There's a difference between reactive and reflective self-righteous judgments. We all react episodically. Now, you want to minimize these episodes, but then there are reflective judgments. It's more inward and introspective where you think uncharitably about people or people groups habitually. This latter condition, this latter characterization, well, that is a pattern which needs your active and prompt repentance. You're either in one group or the other, so which is it? Do you occasionally react unkindly toward others, or is it your habit to think this way? Thanks for listening to the podcast.